0: <laughs> we rebranded to her first hundred K, uh, which was me attempting to save $100,000 at age 25 and hit that goal in September, went to Europe to celebrate, got the call for Good Morning America in a pub in London, and then quit my job three weeks later.
1: Hey, friend, it's David Nabinski here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we hope you take ownership of your portfolio career and design a life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Tori Dunlop, Tori is the founder of Her First 100K, a financial education company aimed at young women. She is the author of the New York Times bestselling book called Financial Feminist, which is also the name of her podcast, which was recently rated the number one business podcast. This episode was recorded live in an apartment in Brooklyn with about 20 people. I call these episodes and events podcast mixers. In this episode, you'll learn about starting and building Tori's business, how she thinks about creating content and growing an audience that is now 1.5 million followers on Instagram and over 2 million followers on TikTok. That's a lot. Financial advice, tips, and so much more. As always, this episode of Notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my Portfolio Career substack newsletter that I send out every other Sunday. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go, Tori. Cool. Um, Tori, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Um, <laughs> what
0: this is you? so fun. This is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to being in a studio, like, talking into the void, so... Uh, yeah this is great
1: we can we can I can set up zoom um I've got two computers Riverside. yeah 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 yeah
0: Zencaster
1: I don't know if that would be better for you or not but um I like this too this so, is better yeah, yeah um speaking of liking things um what do you love about saving money
0: Ooh, um money buys you options when you have money you have choices I said this in the book I say this on the podcast all the time but like when I have money, I can leave situations I don't want to be in anymore, whether that's a relationship, whether that's a job, um, just a general situation. OK, I don't want to I don't want to be here. I'm going to take an Uber home. Right. they put me money puts me into situations I want to be in. Right. I can quit that job to start a business or to donate to causes I believe in or to take a vacation or to, you know, just live a more abundant life. And so. I think for anybody, especially in marginalized groups, like money means choices and safety and options. And um, one of the biggest myths I think that gets perpetuated is that money can't buy you happiness. And I'm like, no, it fucking can. (laughs) Like it fucking can. It can buy you, yeah, stability and safety and, and that for most people is happiness. Now, of course, like don't buy the Porsche thinking that'll make you happy. Right. But like, yeah, when money buys you options, yeah, that buys you happiness. Yeah. For people who are especially struggling or who have been disenfranchised by a system, like that, provides you resources that you didn't have access to before.
1: Mm. Um, you mentioned quitting a job; money can help you quit a job. Yeah, <laughs> um, maybe we want to just start there. Uh, <laughs>
0: about uh, so are you subtweeting a little bit? Or <laughs> what I'm <I> like, <laughs>
1: uh, you know, about you quitting a job a couple years ago. You yeah, wanna, yeah.
0: Um, what do we want to talk about as part of that? Just like what led up to it yeah okay um so uh, you know I graduated college it was 2016 so I was 22 and I I think like a lot of us came out of college again super ambitious and was just like okay I'm gonna walk the pavement with my little briefcase and my high heels and my Starbucks and I knew that was a complete fantasy because like who carries briefcases anymore and like who wears pencil skirts and like I don't drink coffee but like that was the idea in my head of like I'm gonna hashtag girl boss it all the way up the top, you know? And I got into my first corporate job and I was like, this sucks. (laughs) I was like, for a while it was fine. And then I was reporting to people I did not like or did not respect. And I was working at this company that was like so Male dominated, and not just male dominated, but like macho, like ex-cops, ex-military, like just like macho dudes who were all like barely functioning alcoholics. Like it was just not a fun, not a fun time. And like the gla- the rose-colored goggles came off very mm. quickly. Where I was like, Oh, is this what I'm gonna have to do for 35 years? Mm. Is this the next 35 years of my life? Is working for people I don't like or respect and making them rich? And so, um, of course, I graduated college in May, and what happens not soon after that is Donald Trump gets elected so i'm coming into not only adulthood but into womanhood in a very different country as well than i think a lot of us expected and i'm trying to figure out like what kind of person am i what do i stand for how do i want to show up and it kind of radicalized me and so the idea was okay if i can start this side hustle which at the time was like a blog for 20 something women you guys remember like the tumblr era of like 2016 <laughs> where like everybody was blogging And it was like here are five tips for blah blah blah, and like some you know this still kind of happens. But I was like that was that was the idea was okay. I was gonna just write about my life as a twenty something woman, and I started that at the end of twenty sixteen, and then I was realizing that everything I wrote about linked back to money in some way, and that when you know I was having conversations with friends, it was always them asking me what is a Roth IRA or how do you pay off Mm -hmm. debt, and then when I was getting my own money, I was realizing oh I'm able to again leave bad situations I don't want to be in anymore so ended up leaving that first job for another job and I mentioned this in the introduction of my book that job ended up being somehow more toxic and I was only there for like 10 or 12 weeks Mm. and then it got to the point where I was like I can't do this anymore um and I had an emergency fund. I had the ability to leave that job I didn't want to be in anymore because I had enough money saved. I had an escape hatch. I had the fuck off fund to be able to go, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think that was the big moment for me where I was like, oh, okay. Again, I can leave this situation I don't want to be in anymore because I have money. The side hustle was also starting to get a little bit of traction. It was also it was very clear to me that oh, this is the lens through I, which I want to talk about these things: is money and feminism and those you know the intersection of both of those. And then 2019, I was in my third corporate job. We <laughs> rebranded to her first hundred k, uh, which was me attempting to save a hundred thousand dollars at age 25, and. Hit that goal in September, went to Europe to celebrate, got the call for Good Morning America in a pub in London, and then quit my job three weeks later. And we can talk about that, though, because that was one of the most terrifying decisions, even though it shouldn't have been terrifying because I like I had all my ducks in a row. But even as somebody who was good with money, I thought, no, I need to choose the stable option because it felt like too much of a risk. And I literally, I had my parents literally calling me and being like, "Do not quit your job. Under no circumstances are you going to quit this job. Like this is a terrible move for you." And um, I joke all the time. I call them. I'm like, "I sh- remember, remember what you said to me. <laughs> remember what would have happened if I listened to you." But like it, yeah, it was it was the thing that both like accelerated my own financial journey of me starting this business and becoming more confident, both financially and just as a person and how I showed up, but also it was the, oh, I can help other women feel this way. I can help other women have the ability to put themselves in the situations they want to be in.
1: And when you said, we can talk more about that, what what did you mean? Like there was things, ducks were in the row, but yeah, yeah what, what, I think, what was the issue there?
0: I think we believe we're either like born with a good with money gene or we're born with the bad with money gene. Money is a skill, just Mm. like anything else, right? And you know, just like trying to learn French or like learn how to play the tuba, like you're gonna suck at it for a while, right? But like for money in particular, we just have this understanding that oh, I should just be good with it, Mm. or I I can you know I suck at it and I'll never get better at it. And I had the privilege of a financial education from my parents. My parents didn't grow up with a lot. And so they were like, okay, we're going to teach her how to save money, how to use a credit card responsibly, how to do all of those things. Vending machines. Vending machines. <laughs> oh, throwing it way back. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, that I thought that was the reality for everybody. And then, of course, having these conversations, I realized it wasn't. But specifically, I think, again, I mentioned this in the book, but like our the way we view money Is largely impacted by the way our family managed money. Mm. So, you know, so talk about like family trauma and fun stuff, but like truly how (laughs) your parents and your family manage money is like a lot of like how you're gonna show up and manage money unless you work to change it. And again, I had this great financial education, but even me as a financial expert and someone who grew up with this great financial education, I had this moment where I was like, okay. I can choose a stable option. I can choose the 401k and the health insurance and the stable paycheck, or I can take what for me felt like a risk. Mm. And to my very well-intentioned, well-meaning parents who have never taken that risk. And I'm very thankful for that. They gave me a very stable childhood and a stable upbringing, but like my dad stayed in jobs. He didn't want to be in because he had a family to support. And like, so entrepreneurship to them felt crazy. So then to me, it felt crazy. Mm. So even like the best, Well-intentioned, even like me as someone who is good with money, even sometimes those memories or those those feelings or the way you grew up around money influence the way you manage money now.
1: Raise a hands, is that like okay? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's hand went up. (laughs) And and we
0: mentioned in the book an exercise, and it actually it'd be really interesting for everybody in the room to think about it. But like, what is your first money memory? Like, what is the first time you remember thinking about money? And for me, it was, I, again, I say this in the book. It was like saving up quarters in an Altoids tin to go see Annie the musical. Because once a theater kid, always a theater kid. <laughs> um, but, like, that was my memory. My, my mom told me, okay, you want to take it to the show? You got to save your money. Like, I didn't have an income source. I was fucking five years old, right? But, like, the act was like, okay, you're going to put money away if you want something. A lot of other people's money memories are not that positive. It's, I remember my parents fighting about money. Or I remember going to try to get lunch at school and realizing I didn't have money for lunch at school Mm. or, you know, uh, usually it's not great, right? So we can start just understanding, okay, if that is the first time we remember thinking about money or the first couple times we remember interacting with money, how is that shaping how I view money now?
1: Mm. Or how
0: is that shaping how I view people with money? Mm. Because that's the other thing. Money is morally neutral. It's morally neutral, it's not inherently good or bad. It's a stack of government-issued paper, right? Yet we put so much morality on it because there's certain people who have a lot of money who are shitty people, Elon Musk. So <laughs> I think that when we look at that, right, it's it's so easy to think, oh, people with money are bad. And it's like there's a lot of people with a lot of money who are doing really fucking cool things in the world. So the pursuit of money is not bad or wrong, and especially for... Again, members of marginalized groups, like you need money. You need money to survive. You need money to uplift your community. And you saying, you know what, I money feels gross to me, I'm not gonna pursue it, is actually doing you a very huge disservice.
1: So there's this you're talking about this like uh other people's you're talking about this kind of like the emotional side of money. And yeah, I've I'll said th-
0: like seven things. I'm sorry, I'm going on like six million <laughs> tangents. I get excited, I'm like, let's talk about everything. <clears throat>
1: I'm down um but i i think that like uh this idea around like what is our relationship to money is like fascinating yeah. and like i think there's a question in the book that is like what will your life look like if you change your relationship with money yeah <laughs> what do you like it sounds like you've talked to other people about this question um and what does that like look like what like is that the core question that we should be asking ourselves
0: i mean if you set any goal and you don't have the end game in mind you're you it's gonna go out the window the moment things get hard right and that's with anything that's with you know working out that's with eating well that's with like showing up and going to therapy right as soon as things get uncomfortable we're just going to be like bail right Mm. but when we Actually, have a reason for doing it. Of course, right? Anybody who's ever read any self motivational book is like, find your why, right? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we can we can find the words find your why in about half of those books, but like, (laughs) they're not wrong. So it's like, you know, when you when you're paying off debt, for example, like paying off debt sucks. Like it's awful. It's not fun to owe this huge corporation money, right? It's not fun to feel like you're drowning. That's not fun. So you might get motivated after you maybe read the book or you you know you talk about money with somebody for the first time and you're like okay I got this I can do this. Yeah. And then you're going to hit a roadblock at some point. Maybe that's 4 days in, maybe that's 4 months in, maybe that's 4 years in, but like you will hit a roadblock. And so you have to ask yourself like okay, how do I want my life to change? Because what I Again, which more people talked about is it's like when we talk about wellness, and I don't mean the capitalistic like consumer version of wellness, but I mean like showing up as the best version of mm. ourselves kind of wellness, like financial wellness, the rest of it doesn't happen until that happens. Because unfortunately, we live in a country where, OK, if I want to go to therapy, I need money. If I want to go to the gym, I need money. If I want to do anything to better myself, I probably need money. I need a paycheck. I need some way of making money, earning yep. money, saving money. So um like we have to just ask ourselves okay if i get my money together or i i I at least take that first step how does that trickle down to the rest of uh, rest of everything right that will impact your relationships that will impact of course your job that will impact where you live like the mattress you sleep on like that'll impact every single part of your life
1: okay um (laughs) you doing all right (laughs) i'm taking that in i'm taking that in um we're going to pause. No. I know. Um, I feel like I scared everybody. <laughs> I don't mean to scare everybody, but like it's true. So um, so we, we've talked about this book. We're looking at this book. Um, there's been some steps before then. Um, you talked a little bit also around how like the your business kind of changed. Uh, yeah. I think it was like Victory Media. And yeah. Then, we still
0: technically operate as Victory Media, yeah. but yeah, publicly it's her first and time. And
1: then it day. seemed like there was like an unlock from, Yeah, uh, it was like in a mastermind uh conversation or something like that
0: yes you did your research i'm having like a sean evans hot ones moment right now thank you um yes no i was i was in this conversation with just these two women i had met in a networking event and we had just met up at like a hotel in seattle and gotten drinks and this was like 2018 and i knew um the the business needed a rebrand because my, my my full name's Victoria and so it was like a play on my name and like that's mm-hmm. fun for a while but like that doesn't yeah. mean anything. So you know you read yeah. that and you don't know what that business does who what it is. So I was like okay it has to do something with money but I didn't want to be just like the budget girly or like the the investing and again I have a lot of friends who have monikers like this and it works for them but like that wasn't that wasn't it for me I wanted to talk about all of the things around money but I wanted to talk usually to women and talk about okay how you know money impacts everything and talk about feminism and money and I was also I hadn't really announced this like 100k goal publicly but something like I had just told this woman who I never really talked to before something like told me to tell her like hey I'm saving trying to save 100k at 25. So we're sitting there and we're just talking and I am I am stressed about this rebrand like I am by myself right running this side hustle and of course my little ambitious me is like you're wasting time every time you don't have a name and like every every day that goes by and you don't have a fucking name you're losing everything
1: anybody else ever that before?
0: <laughs> every day you don't have this figured out is a day you've wasted and so um that was what's was going through my head and i just was like racking my brain trying to figure out like okay what is what is the name and so we were sitting in this hotel, and you know I was telling her I was stressed about this, and she goes, well, that's your name. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she goes, well, it's your first 100K. And I was like, yes, done, <laughs> great. And then I go home, and I Google it, and somebody owns the fucking domain. And I'm like, no. No, God, please, no. And then I'm trying U-R-F-I-R-S-T. And then I'm doing, you know, your first one zero zero comma zero zero zero. And that's not working. And I, I know this is the name. And then I'm like, mm, I just can't figure it out and so then I'm having again every day you don't do this is a fucking waste of time and now you've got the name so you're one step closer but actually you're not at all because you know they wanted to it was like a GoDaddy like oh you can submit and negotiate for the domain and I'm like no I'm not gonna do that I don't know how much money this is gonna cost and also I'm not gonna let somebody else negotiate for me I'm gonna do it so I am with a friend in New Orleans at a bar and I'm talking about this yeah I love New Orleans We were on a self-guided Sazerac tour, which should tell you where I was at mentally at that moment. This was, like, day five. And if you know me, and I've gone five days without talking about work, like, that is crazy. But we had somehow managed to go this entire time and had not talked business. And we were sitting at the bar, and he was like, so you're trying to rebrand, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm just stuck. It's your first 100K. It's very clearly that. But, like... Somebody owns a domain, Bobby Bond. He's like, what about her first 100K? And I just, I don't know. I hadn't thought about Mm. it. Because I was so focused on, like, it has to be this. That's something even better I hadn't even thought about until somebody would then was just like, duh, what about this? Bought the domain on the spot. Boom. Yep.
1: And the the rest is
0: history. And (laughs) But the classic version is, like, technically, I didn't come up with the name. And I didn't come up with the second version of the name either. (laughs) Like, it was from talking with other people. And I... Mm. I think, again, entrepreneurs, we get into this thing of, like, it's my idea and somebody's going to steal it so I can't say anything. Nobody's going to fucking steal your idea. Mm. Like, the amount of uh, time and effort it would take for them to steal your idea and then build an entire bit. Like, nobody, ha- nobody, mm. nobody's going to do that. Talk about your idea with other people. Because I was so laser focused on just, like, okay, I need a rebrand. And then I couldn't figure out what it was supposed to be because I saw everybody else doing, yeah, budget, investing. I was like, okay, it has to be that didn't have to be that and then it was like okay your first 100k no it doesn't have to be that yeah. it actually ended up being a stronger name because you very definitively see who this is ideally for before you've even clicked mm. i haven't told that story a lot thanks for asking
1: <laughs> um shout out Jay klaus yes creative element king of my life yeah. he's
0: great yeah
1: podcasting hack has listened to other podcasts um yeah uh, so that was an inflection point, and uh, I think there's been another inflection point. Was like TikTok. Yeah. Um, but like 2021, you had like a f- couple thousand followers on Instagram, and then you were like, okay, let's try out TikTok. And 2020. Yeah. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. And then now you have two million followers yeah. on TikTok, 1.5 on Instagram. Had uh, that happen?
0: Good question. Um, we could spend another two hours talking about all of that. What do you want to know specifically? Like marketing-wise, how we did it?
1: Um, talk to us about the role of like script-based uh, TikToks.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I never write a script for anything. That's a fun... Elias knows that better than anybody. Um, I don't script any of our content. And I think it's because like I know our brand so well at this point, And I know what people are asking for. Like a lot of people found us on TikTok and they're like, oh, like you just started this, and I'm like, nah, I've been at this for years. Like, just figuring out like what kind of content connects with people. How do I like even talk about not just our brand, but like how do I educate people about money? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the metaphors that click for them? What is the way that I can approach this in a way that makes sense? And so, I think um, TikTok just was like, okay, let's take everything we're already doing. And let's try this on this new platform. And the other thing I did was, like, a lot of us, I got on TikTok in March 2020 because I was bored in the house and I'm in the house bored. And I was like, (laughs) okay, I'm just going to start watching content. And then I just watched, yeah, like, months and months before I produced anything. And then the fifth video we did ended up going, like, crazy, super viral. So we got, I think, 70,000 followers in, like, two days on TikTok. And then... It was like in less than a year we were at like a million like it was just kind of crazy how quickly it blew up and it was because like yeah we had honed what we knew we wanted to say and how we wanted to say it so i think with like specifically the kind of content we create if anybody's a marketer or an entrepreneur trying to create content for me it has to be three things content has to be aspirational in some way so it has to be, oh, I want that, or I want that feeling, or I I, I want that thing, right? So aspirational, educational, right? You want to learn something. You don't just want to feel, again, sold to or whatever. You want to feel like, oh, I'm taking something away from this, and entertaining. And if you can do one, you've got a video that does pretty well. If you can do all three, your video is probably going to go viral. And that is still the method that I use to create content on TikTok or Instagram or anything else. And so... It was really focusing on, Okay, I already know this audience, but I went to TikTok truly thinking it was 25, 26 at the time. Oh, this is 17 year olds doing dance videos. And like, I hate that I thought that because it's like, yes. And there were so many people that like needed this content, wanted it. And it completely transformed our business. It drove our podcast to the top of the charts when we launched it. I think it was probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest way that we sold books. Um, it, you know, increased our Instagram following and everything else too. Got me speaking engagements and brand deals. So like, it was just really interesting to like, be there right when things were starting to explode. And there's still opportunity on TikTok. Um, that's the other thing you hear as a marketer. It's like, TikTok's dead. I'm like, it's not dead. Mm. It's getting harder, but yeah. it's not dead yet.
1: Um, You mentioned the three like categories, but the... It seems like some of the viral videos have been this, like, negotiating with your boss. Use this script. Sure. You know,
0: oh, that's what you mean by scripting content, specifically. Yeah, I'm, glad Got we, it.
1: I'm glad where we went, though. Yeah. Um But um, talk talk to us about that kind of, like, use this. Use this. Like, uh, uh, trying to get a new job and uh, use this. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think... Um Talk about again, if we're talking about the three categories, that's hyper educational, right? It's like literally here's exactly what to say. um, And then really what I'm trying to do there from a strategy standpoint is I'm trying to get them to save the post or to share the post because they're probably not going to comment on it. That's the other thing. (laughs) We started to see, like, people will be like, um, they'll DM us and they'll be like, this is great job interview content, but I can't comment in case my coworker sees. (laughs) So it's like, it like happens in the DMs. It like happens secretly. So then it's like, you know, I can't, people can't know I'm looking for a job, but I'll save it. Or, oh, my friend or my sister's looking for a job, so I'm going to share it to her. Mm -hmm. And it is like, it catches your eye immediately because it is, okay, I know exactly what to say, or at least I have an outline now. And it's really easy for me to make. Because some of the videos you're probably talking about, if you guys have seen them, it's like, okay, here's how to negotiate. It's like, you know, your boss says this, here's what to say. And then the ones that have gone really viral was this trend where your hand shakes. Um, And so what I did was I was, you know, typing confidently, whatever, and then my hand would shake trying to drink water. And we published, we we made probably five of those. I reshare them every two months, they go viral every time. And so we just keep resharing it, resharing it because it's evergreen content too. Mm. But it's also like, okay, it was the educational piece, but then it's also endearing or like relatable of like, oh, she's nervous. I'm nervous. Okay, great. So it's not, yeah, it's not coming from, you know, someone who's like, oh yeah, I'm negotiated all the time and it never freaks me out. Right. It's like that element of, oh, okay. I can negotiate and feel a little scared because that's what I know women feel because, again, back to what I was talking about sooner or earlier, I know our audience really well and they all say, well, I want to get compensated fairly and I know I should be negotiating, but I don't want to receive any retribution. I don't want to get fired. I don't want people to mm. be mad at me because that's a whole other thing is we've else, told women to feel that way. that way. Yeah. yeah. We've told women that they have to feel that way. And so, yeah, I think that that's why that content works is it's like very hyper educational. It's evergreen. I share it all the time and yeah, it's like here's the script. It's shareable, and then it's also at the end like, oh, it's relatable. That's how I feel too. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: so that's TikTok. Um, does anybody have a qu- r- r- Does anybody have a question?
0: Uh, I love that you're talking about language and scripts and like the natural way we have these conversations. Yeah. And you mentioned the idea of metaphors, and I feel like metaphors are so powerful because they also change mental models. Ooh. Okay. And so I'm really curious more about the metaphors that you're you're kind of reaching in your pocket for my friend used the one um of oh i changed a high yield savings account because otherwise it's like having a hole in your purse mm. and i was like okay well inflation marcus yeah. <laughs> like here we go um, i'm curious those for you right now Ooh, i love that um Again, Elias will tell you, I'm the metaphor queen, and 99% of them don't work. And I will just like, out of nowhere, just throw one in one of our investing workshops, and then we'll get done with it after, and I'll just turn to and I mean, that one didn't work. But we're going to figure out one. Um, One of the ones I like to use actually in our investing workshops is like, um, a lot of people don't realize, a lot of women don't realize that um, a Roth IRA or a 401k is not an investment. It's the thing that holds your investments so if you put money into a Roth IRA or into a 401k it's not like a bank account where you're just like cool I'm done you have to go choose your investments so it's a two-step process I'm seeing panic in your eyes um we'll we'll talk yeah (laughs) yeah okay usually I get somebody who's like oh shit But you have to put money in the bank account or put money in the Roth IRA, the 401k, and then you have to go choose your investment. So I say it's like a gift card, right? I put $50 on a TJ Maxx gift card, and now I need to go buy plants and candles and throw pillows. Um, My other favorite metaphor um, that I say every time we get of an investing workshop is the explanation of what a stock is. And I say a stock is a tiny little sliver of a company. It's owning part of a company pie. So if you buy one share of Amazon, and I say, granted, it's like owning a grain of sand on Bezos' beach, but... You own part of that company. And so I think that that way is really helpful for, yeah, again, contextualizing and giving you a reason to care. One of my other ones, too, is it's like um, trying to explain like the value of the stock market and that you don't actually lose or gain money unless you sell an investment. So I say it's like buying a house or like a designer purse, like your house can go up in value according to yeah. Zillow in five years, but I don't have $200,000 more right, in my pocket. I have to go sell the thing. Or the Dior saddlebag might be worth 10% more now, but I don't have 10% more in my pocket unless I choose to sell. Because a lot of the thing we hear from women is like, I'm scared of losing money because they've been told investing's gambling, right? So it's like, no, you haven't lost money unless you choose to liquidate your investments, unless you choose to sell, just like you haven't gained money unless you choose to sell. Oh, I don't remember uh, any of them. Maybe yeah. Elias can remember some of them. Um, I, I, they're in one ear and out the other for me. And I do them so often that I, do, I really don't remember. But a lot. A lot of them.
1: That, that, <laughs> Thank you, that, business that partner. Follow, that, that follow comment <laughs> was around answer. any botched investments. Um, uh, while people are thinking about their questions, I got one last one for now. Um, which is, what did you learn about yourself um, while writing a book and running a business?
0: a therapist hi (laughs) fucking hard it's fucking hard it's fucking hard like I wanted this more than anything and then there's days where I'm like god a paycheck sounds real nice right now that sounds real good and I don't have to care I can just like close my laptop and be done um gosh yeah it's it's just like any route you choose is hard What is it? pick your hard. I'm not going to say anything that like you haven't heard before. Um, I'm trying to think what else definitively. I mean, there's so many things I've learned. Um, I'm a very emotional person.
1: Mm.
0: Again, like crying on the phone, crying in the club all the time. Um, And I, I like, I cry at everything. I'm very emotional. And that is both, I think my greatest attribute as a business owner and also, is at times at my detriment. Mm. And somebody... I'm trying to remember if I read it or somebody told me that your weaknesses are just your strengths turned up too high. So for me, like, I love that I'm deeply vulnerable and deeply emotional and that I care this much. Mm. And I've actually had to learn not to care as much. Mm. And that doesn't mean I don't care. That doesn't mean I don't care deeply. But it means that, like, I get opinions and feedback from people all of the time. And, like, I... No human is cut out for that. Like imagine walking down the street and just having a hundred people walk by you. and maybe you know, ninety of them say something nice, but that ten say horrible, despicable things to you, and you're just like, I'm gonna go and live in my stay in my house and never leave. But like that's what social media is, and it never stops. And also, on the other side of running a business, like you have everybody to think about all the time. You have clients, you have your customers, but you also have your team members, you have your employees. And then for us, we have a community now of four million people who I really feel like I need to shepherd and protect. Mm. And um, that makes me really emotional and really scared and really, um, I, I just care so deeply. And I've had to learn, and I'm still learning, like when do I turn up the volume on my caring versus when do I turn it down? Like, you know what? This isn't worth the time and energy that I'm putting into this Mm. this caring thing. Like, we had something, I can't talk about it. We had something pretty dramatic happen internally in our business a couple months ago. And that was the first time ever that I'm like, okay, this sucks. And I took like two days and was like kind of numb and just processed it. And then afterwards, I was like, this doesn't deserve my caring. Mm. This doesn't deserve my caring. I've cared a lot about this thing and put a lot of energy toward it, and it is no longer working. So we are turning down the volume on that caring. Um, does anybody know the Enneagram? Okay, I'm an Enneagram Two. That shouldn't shock any of you if you know me a little bit. Which is like the like the giver, the carer, the like safe keeper of just like, you know, I'm gonna walk 5,000 miles for you, but also I need to be thanked for it. That's the, that's the thing about twos is that they'll do anything for you, but they need acknowledgement. Um, so like. It's. It, I think it's what makes me great as an entrepreneur, but it also is at my detriment often. It's just like I feel so deeply and I care so deeply. And so rather than shutting that off because that's not helpful, that's not authentic to me, just figuring out, okay, what deserves this amount of emotion or caring? And where can I channel that that's healthy and what doesn't deserve it? Still learning it, by the way. Yeah. Im- imperfectly.
1: Questions? Have you learned any negative limiting beliefs from the comments that you received on TikTok and Instagram?
0: Oh. as a therapy question. 95% of them, I'm like, oh, bring it the fuck on. (laughs) Because I get to make content about it. Some of our most viral videos are like men being like, you're fat and ugly and you don't have money. And I'm like, bitch! (laughs) And then I do bank account screenshots and I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) hmm... How's that working for you? Um, those are my favorite, honestly. Like, literally, we have this video going viral, and I, I do this on purpose. I stoke th- I'm like, I'm like, I know it's gonna get you, and then I know it's on the wrong side of the internet once I start getting these comments. But I've made two of these videos, and I keep resharing them, and it's like things men have said to me when they discover I'm a multimillionaire, and these are true. It's literally like, like, no, you're not, or not when you dress like that, or oh, my favorite is, um, a million dollars isn't that much money. I'm like okay, and so literally, like, there's this video of me, and the TikTok filter is just like changing colors at like that speed, and it's just me dancing in my kitchen, and I purposely did it while I was moving, so you can't see. I don't have a couch; I have cardboard boxes. So then, all of the comments are like, "You live in that house?" and I'm like, "I got you. It's so good. It's my favorite." Um, I'm trying to remember your original question. I got really petty. <laughs> Oh.
1: To, yeah. uh, recurring comments. Yeah. Limiting beliefs, overcoming comments, yeah. dealing with the comments.
0: <clears throat> to get really, really, really vulnerable with you, as a white person, I am terrified of not being as inclusive as I should be or could be. I'm terrified of that. And always both from a like cancel culture chaos standpoint but also just like I want to do right by people I want to use a platform that we have to do right by people and like I have privilege and with that privilege comes a responsibility and so I'm always nervous that like I'm not doing enough with that privilege or I'm not acknowledging it enough and so actually one of the things that kind of sends me into a spiral often is like people even who don't follow us know nothing about me calling me a white feminist. It's always really scary because I don't I don't want to be that right and so and I, I there's so much of our content that is really focused on of course inclusivity and all of those things but you always wonder like can I be doing more should I be doing more how I, how can I be doing more so yeah Tori I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know that point when you decide to walk away from something that's toxic and yeah. you're like I can do it. I have like the emergency fund, but like it's really scary. And how kind of, how did you walk away and what did you tell yourself? I'm just really curious how you did it and kind of finally took that step. Yeah um, it's never going to feel like the right time ever, 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 ever. Because I told myself, okay, when you do this, you get to quit your job. And then I was like, no, we will give it another like three months. And then I was like, okay, when you do this, and then it just kept going and going. Um, I joke, and I truly believe this, that the universe like made the decision for me because things got really squirrely at, My job I was at, they did not like that I was on Good Morning America and they weren't. And it was just like, oh, your side hustle's taken off. And I think they felt a little concerned and weirdly threatened by that. And so we were having conversations of like, okay, is it time for me to leave? And my direct boss was great and actually sat me down. It was like entrepreneur to entrepreneur. Like you have money in the bank, you have momentum, you have a business. I would go for it and kind of gave me that permission slip I needed. Um, So yeah, it's never going to feel like the right time. I will say, I think there's two kinds of people who pursue entrepreneurship. Um, one is the uh, like archetype of the old ducks in a row. And that's me, which is like, okay, I need the emergency fund. And then I need the emergency fund for the emergency fund. And then I need the safety net for this. And then I need all the rest of this. And if that makes you feel better, great. That was the permission slip I felt like I needed. Other people... And again, there's parts of this that I would not advise, but some people are the fling yourselves off the cliff and figure it out on the way down. You can usually self-identify and identify pretty quick. Um, But some people need that, like, honestly, like desperate energy of like, okay, well, we're falling and we got to figure out the parachute before we crash. Right. And I'm just. (laughs) Do you call it power top?
1: (laughs) Power (laughs) bottom. The power broke.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. You got to figure it out. Yeah, so Power I mean, it's you kind of got to figure out which one you are, but yeah, you're never gonna feel ready. Um, I would also say, truly, I recommend a side hustle if you can swing it. It's so much easier to build something on the side and be able to test things. And like, I was able to give my business the time and space it deserved, I wasn't asking too much of it too soon. Because if I would have gone all in, like, too early, even earlier than I ended up doing, you know, I would have made decisions out of desperation rather than what was smart. And, you know, I could take my time in building things and test them. And if they didn't work, no worries, because I had my 9 to 5. And... um, your nine to five is like your first investment. Even if you never, like Mm. I've never pursued VC or anything. Right. Like that was my investment was like, okay, I have my nine to five salary Mm. and that's the stability I need to invest back in the business. And then, yeah, I was able to grow at the pace I wanted and I wasn't asking too much of it. And then feeling really bitter when it didn't work out. Like you want to love what you're building. You don't want to get to a point where you're like, oh, this should be paying my bills and it's fucking not. So like, I'm not having fun anymore. Um, so if you can side hustle and like grow it on the side, prove your concept, prove all of that. It's a lot easier, at least for me.
1: Cool. And then um, I guess to, to wrap up this part, um, any parting thoughts for 2024 financial wellness, um, high yield savings accounts. Definitely.
0: So. <laughs> Her first under K.com slash tools. Um, yeah. I mean, we have a book and podcast with all of it, but really, it's about first identifying like what are your beliefs about money? Like what are your hang-ups? What are the narratives you've been believing about money? Again, do you believe that the pursuit of money is bad? Do you believe that talking about money is taboo? Do you believe that again, oh, money can't buy me happiness? No, it can. So, just starting to understand like what are my beliefs about money? How can I get to a place where I like the way I view money or at least money and I have a better relationship? Um, Second thing is to just, just like anything else, any other goal, right? If you say, I'm going to go to the gym every single day, that's not going to happen. Like, be realistic with yourself. Like, okay, I'm going to completely change my money overnight. Like, that's not going to happen. So maybe it's just, yeah, I'm going to open up a high-yield savings account. Or I'm just going to, you know, work to pay off my credit card debt every time I get a little bit of extra money. Um, It shouldn't be this big, audacious goal. Because, like, if you don't have a plan, right? Goal without a plan is just a wish. So we have to... Set a goal that actually makes sense for us, that we're not biting off more than we could chew, and then give ourselves a plan to get there. Um, and then my favorite strategy um, is a money date, which is a dedicated time for you to look at your money. And if you're managing money with a romantic partner, do this with them. But sit down—we call it financial self-care—for like an hour, at least an hour a month. You know, get a glass bottle of wine, down comforter cocoon if this makes you nervous, like, and sit down and actually look at your money. Like, what's working? What's not? what did i spend money on this month what am i investing in can i increase my 401k percentage if i'm managing money with a romantic partner even if i'm single like how can i use money as a tool to build the life that i want
1: love it love it love it love it and um where can people stay in touch where can they learn more work can yeah all those things
0: her first hundred and financial feminist is the book and podcast
1: let's get it up for tori thank
0: you Yay!
1: Hey friend, thank you for listening to this Portfolio Career Podcast episode. I would love to hear what you learned or took away from this episode. I hope you find me, David Nabinski, on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Also, if you want the best insights from the podcast and to hear my learnings, please subscribe to my Portfolio Career Substack newsletter that I send out every two weeks. You can find that on my website at portfoliocareerpodcast.com slash newsletter. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.